Yep. Okay, welcome back from lunch, everyone. So this afternoon, we're very lucky to have um, Daryl Shoon giving the afternoon lecture. And the title is Goosing the Gander, the effect of credit and debt on supply and demand. So over to Daryl. Thank you, Sandeep. Um, the title of uh, my talk today is Goosing the Gander, the Effect of Credit and Debt on Supply and Demand, which is exactly the, the topic we were discussing this morning. Mm -hmm. To start it off, I would just like to start off with a statement. It's mesmerizing to watch a train wreck in slow motion, even if you're on that train. And that's really where we are. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it in context. And you've been studying Austrian economics. You've been looking at questions of money from an Austrian perspective. And uh, I, I, what I want you to do is I want you to just let that go. But I want you to remember it as I take you through the story of, of paper money. Because this is not the first time we've encountered it. And I think when you go through the history of it, you will certain, see certain things that, that are in communality, things that you recognize that are happening today that happened before. Because there's a rhyme and a reason to what's going on today. But let's, what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull it out of, uh, and take a, a, take a broader view. Um, Now, there was a, a book written by a professor, um, David Hackett Fisher. And it was published by Oxford University Press. And it was entitled The Great Wave. And Professor Fisher is an economic historian. And what he said is you can look back at all prices. And you will notice that you get periods of stability. And then all of a sudden, prices will start rising. And it'll become steeper and steeper, and then you have a collapse. And another period will ensue of stability, interrupted again by rising prices. It's going to be a lot smoother than I wrote here. It's going to be like this, really. All right. So it is there, and so it is here. All right. And this happens, as he says, throughout history. Stability. Rising prices, crashes. And this is what he called the great wave. Great waves of rising prices bring epochs to an end. The first one that he spoke about was the Middle Ages. All right? That went along. All of a sudden, prices started rising. 
Black Plague. Tremendous things happen in these price waves. Not only do you get price waves and economic instability, you get things like the Hundred Years' War, the Black Plague. Tremendous inter events come in and exacerbate whatever is going on. These are periods of just, they're very intense and they end up in the economic collapse of the existing era. The Middle Ages gave way to the Renaissance. That too was interrupted by rising prices, culminating in an economic collapse, giving way to what he calls the Age of Enlightenment. Rising prices, collapse, giving way to what he calls the age, the age of Victorian stability. And in 1896, prices began rising again. These waves last between 80 to 160 years. 1896, another great wave began. And this is where we are today. Fisher said that the present great wave is not shares in common because great waves all have certain things in common. But he said this current great wave is greater in amplitude than any previous great wave. All right? So, here we are, right there. Now, he called this the period of Victorian stability because this was England's era. This is when England ruled the world, basically, brought the English language around and brought us all together. Before this period, you really had a distinct East and West. You had on the other side of the globe, you had India, you had China, you had Japan, you had the, the East, all right? And there was very little known about it. And in, over there, there was this West over here, and they knew very little about the West. England brought this all together. This was really a, an extraordinary thing that happened here, and we'll go into this. I'll, we'll go into how they pulled this thing off. Uh, you made the point the other day, it was a very small country and it did some very big things, all right? When I read The Great Wave, and I looked at it because of my study of economics, I thought you could call it the era of Victorian stability, or you could call it the era of modern banking. Because it is my belief that it was modern banking that gave England its, its, its head start. It gave what it took over the rest of all the other nations. Now, it was not the only thing. It was a contributing factor. Before England came up with the Bank of England, all right, 50 years before, there was already a push in Europe for more credit. A gentleman named William Potter came up with the idea 50 years before the bank got chartered of having a more, he thought, well, we can create credit based on land. All right. Now this idea was taken by John Law, who ran with it off the cliff. All right. But it was pushed. It was pushing. What we're seeing here is it really coincided with the Industrial Age. These two events came together and exploded and brought England to the top of the pile. Now, 
They could not have done this without paper money. Okay? And let's go to another page. We'll come back to this one and talk about paper money. Paper money appeared in China in the year 1024. All right? And I think it appeared there because the Chinese invented paper and they invented ink. <laughs> and that's all it takes for paper money, really. Okay? But how it came about was really quite bizarre. The Chinese had a coin system, all right, that was, that was run by the state. The Chinese dynasties controlled the money, they controlled its flow, and that's what it was. Well, in 1022, the state of Sichuan ran out of copper coins. That was the coin of the realm at the time, all right? And they just, they ran out of copper coins, and so some enterprising official there figured out, you know what we can do? We've run out of copper, let's make iron. Let's, let's take and mint some iron coins, which they did. But the, 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 the disparity, the difference between the worth of a copper coin and the worth of an iron coin was quite large. And not only was there a disparity in value, there was a disparity in weight. So you had, an iron, you had iron coins circulating in the place of copper coins that were much heavier and were of much lower value. So it took a lot of these things to buy what you had to buy before. Um, it, it took a pound and a half of coins to buy a, to, to buy a pound of salt. All right. So what happened is, is that people didn't want to lug this stuff around. So they had like money shops. They, this, they developed, and this is what would happen: is that so that the, these people would take their iron coins, deposit them at the money shop, and get a receipt. All right, they'd get a receipt for so many iron coins. They would go to the butcher, hand him the receipt for so many iron coins, and he would either you know, take something off of that or give them change or whatever. So these receipts for coins began circulating as money in Sichuan. This is the first time that paper began circulating as a currency. What happened was this. The money shops began issuing far more receipts than they had coins for. I mean, you're running the money shop. You got a a thousand pounds of iron coins back there. What the heck? The wife needs a, you know, you want to buy something for somebody. So you just write a few more pieces out. Nobody's the wiser, and you start doing it. And then all the money shops started doing it, and pretty soon you had inflation, you had chaos. People thought, this, this, stuff, is, this stuff is bad, all right? It, because they had never encountered it before. It got so bad. The economy collapsed in Sichuan that the central government, the Sung Dynasty, had to send representatives in, stop it, backstop all the money, say, we are going to make good on all the money, all right, brought back in their own cop enough copper coins to cool everybody out, all right, and stopped the, the economic collapse that had happened there. The guy who did it sent a report back to, to uh, the Sun Dynasty. Now, let me say, tell you something about the Chinese. They are very conservative. And what conservative, one of the meanings of conservative is they don't like change. I mean, the Chinese really don't like change. Not like people in the West don't like change. The Chinese want to go backwards. Artists in China had to copy 
previous art. All right? They, 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 the past was revered. You, they froze reality. They wanted to keep things a certain way. Except when it came to this paper money. When the Sung Dynasty discovered what had happened in Sichuan, in two years, an edict was issued saying, nobody issues paper money anymore except us. All right? And what they did was this. They began issuing paper money alongside the currency. All right? They didn't outlaw the copper coins. They just said, these certificates are equal to 10 copper coins. All right? And not, not only were they equal to 10 copper coins, they said, these certificates are good for three years. In three years, you could turn them in to the government and get 10 copper coins, or you could turn them in to us, and we'll give you a new certificate for three more years. I mean, you can't lose. All right? So this was quite a wonderful thing. Now, this was the first experiment with paper money, I mean, on a national level. Now, what else did the Sung Dynasty do? They decided to set a reserve ratio. 29% of the paper coupons were going to be backed by actual copper coins. Why would they do this? Because if they didn't do this, why have paper money at all? What did paper money serve the Sung Dynasty? What it served them was with... 29% of copper coins, they could go out and buy 71% more. They could. No one else could. They could. All right? Because this is what they had done. And so it set in motion. Everybody was hunky-dory, except what happened eventually. By, the, by 1100, the Sung Dynasty had printed 20 times as much paper money as they were supposed to have printed out. And they had long since forgotten their promise of three-year redemption for copper coins or a new note. And the Chinese had forgotten this stuff had any value. All right? On a massive national scale, you had the same thing in China that you had in the province of Sichuan. Prices started inflating. People started scrambling around. They, they didn't want to trade this piece of paper money. And the Sung Dynasty collapsed. Okay? Now, two dynasties came after it. It's sort of the China split in half at this time. In the north, you had the Qin dynasty. And in the south, you had the southern Sung. All right? This is approximately one century later. This is in the 1100s now. All right? Now, both of them started out of the gate with paper money. They could have gone back to copper coins. But you know, bad ideas really persist especially when you see the leverage it gives you. So they knew there was a problem with the Sung. The Sung had just collapsed in economic chaos. So what the Qin Dynasty did in northern China, they made laws. You had to accept this stuff. They said, screw this three-year promise of redemption. This stuff is going to circulate as, we want, as long as we want it. And it's a crime if you don't accept it as real money. Legal tender. Legal tender, the downside of legal tender. Not that this is legal tender. This is, if you don't accept it, you're in jail. All right? That was the chin. All right? They got away with it for 40 years and they collapsed. All right? The Southern Sung had an entirely different tact about their paper money. They tried to give inducements for people. They gave them flowery names. 
All right? They perfumed their notes and made them partially of silk. All right? Their experiment with paper money lasted 60 years, 50% longer than the draconian laws of the Chan. They collapsed. All right? Well, who came to town? The Mongols. Genghis Khan. These people, they knew. I mean, I know in the West, Clausewitz is a famous general. I know in the West you have great, great military generals who were capable of great victories. The Mongols made it real simple. They would roll across, take down the town, kill everybody, and let five people go. Maybe give them a horse. Why? Because they would head for the next town and tell them what had happened. In the next town, when they heard that this previous town had been wiped out and they gave five people out, they freaked. So when the Mongols showed up in their horses, it was pretty cool for the Mongols, all right? These guys swept all the way across Asia, took down everybody in their path, and if it weren't for the death of, of, of Kublai Khan, they would have kept going. But Kublai Khan died all the armies went back to China, and that's where they sat. Now, what did the Mongols do about paper money? The Mongols were warriors. They never administered any countries before. They were cut, you know, slice and dice, and we own you now, all right? And so the Qin Dynasty advisors were trying to ingratiate themselves with the Mongols, all right? You wanted to be on these guys' good side. All right? So they told them about paper money. They told them what it could do and what it couldn't do. So the Mongols decided, Kublai Khan, the court of Kublai Khan, decided to do something different. What they decided to do was this. They were going to back their paper money with silver. All right? Not copper coins, not a promise, silver. Okay? And they established stabilization bureaus all across China. At any time, you could walk in with your script of the cons paper money, hand it in at the stabilization bureau, and get gold or silver. It didn't matter. You could get it. It was on demand. It was precious metals on tap. But what you couldn't do, and you could have as much as you wanted at home. You could have a, a basement full of precious metals. But what you couldn't do under the Yuan dynasty is trade with it. You couldn't go down to the store, you couldn't buy property with it. If you did, you're dead. Alright? If you didn't accept it, you were dead. And the, the, the Mongols were very effective in enforcing their laws. Running rampant through China was the rumor that the Mongols were actually considering turning China into pasture land. Well, what, did, what was going to be the population? They weren't going to be there anymore. They were going to kill them. The Chinese did everything the Mongols wanted. All right? So this is, there you have it. You now have paper money with silver backing, instant redemption. What could be better? Now, this is when the West first ran into the paper money. Marco Polo and his uncles made it across from Italy. They're traders, okay? They buy and sell. And they were over there to buy some stuff, bring it back, and sell it. When they got to China, they found out all that gold and silver they had with them, they couldn't buy it with. 
They had to go to a stabilization bureau, turn it in, get those pieces of paper, and buy whatever they wanted. Marco Polo thought, wow, this is amazing. I've never seen this before. And what, he, what stunned him was this. People were quite happy with that paper money. All right? And he knew that all the gold and silver ended up in Kublai Khan's treasury. But this, too, failed. The Mongols were warriors. Two failed campaigns to trying to take over Southeast Asia. Two huge armadas going to try and take down Japan. This is the, the name Kamikaze. This is where it came from. Because two hurricane, hurricanes just wiped out the fleet, and they called it Divine Wind. The Japanese called this Divine Wind. It just decimated the Chinese invaders. It was gone. The Mongols ended up with bills they couldn't pay. They started printing that money. Stabilization bureaus were shut down. Prices started skyrocketing. Chinese rushing to turn in their pieces of paper. There was no gold and silver left. After 100 years, the Mongol Yuan dynasty collapsed into dust and fall. All right, so where have we gone? We've gone from 29% reserve currency, we've gotten redemption of paper, we've gotten, oh, let's try the hard road, let's try the soft road, and then we've gotten 100% backing, 100%. All right? Stabilization bureaus, you know, our, our bond is not as good as we're. You can trust us. And that even failed. All right? So who came along next? The Ming. The Ming dynasty comes along. It's the Chinese dynasty. The treasury was empty. I mean, the Mongols had spent it all. So they really didn't have any alternative. So they, their money was this thing a foot wide, eight inches long, big seal on it, you know, a lot of fanfare. I mean, they knew they were naked. This was the first fiat money on the planet. Okay? This, this, the, 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 uh, the Sung Dynasty had 29% copper backing. Uh, Three-year redemption, blah, blah, blah. Okay? The Qin had also had backing. The Southern Sung had backing. The Mongols had theoretically 100% backing. The Ming had zero, purely fiat, okay? And so this is the fourth dynasty to come along, and it just didn't last very long. And what happened is, the Chinese on their own, they've had 400 years of chaos now, all right? The Chinese on their own started trading with each other, using silver, using silver, not minted by the government. The government tried to make everybody using the paper. This was a spontaneous event. What they call in Asia are tails, T-A-E-L-S. It's approximately 40 grams. So these 40 grams of silver, just pure silver, that local silversmiths or jewelers would do, began circulating among the Chinese as money. All right? And they knew it was money. And so what happened is the Ming Dynasty, they couldn't get away with their silver, I mean their, their paper money. The, the people started trading on their own and commerce began flourishing. The economy stabilized. The Ming Dynasty lasted two to three times longer than any of the previous dynasties did. All right? The next dynasty comes along, the, Qing, the Qing Dynasty, Qing, Qing, the Manchus, and they looked at it. And again, people are trying to sell them the idea of paper money. And they go, blow it off. Let it keep going. They didn't try and put their coins out. It was working. They could tax people. 
They could take you know, these silver and taxation and stuff like that. And they were quite happy, all right? So now you had a, a four or 500 years of, of monetary chaos because of paper money, all right? And what was the purpose of that paper money? It was by government. And this is what you have to understand when you, it's not just, it's not just money, but when you run into anything, you have to understand who are the parties and what are their agendas? What are they after? There's a motivating agenda of everybody, all right? Girls know this, especially when they go out with guys, all right? There's a motivating agenda, all right? But guys sort of know it too about girls. There's a motivating agenda the other side. So everybody's sitting there playing, you know, trying to figure out the motivating agenda. But with money, it's real simple, in China at least. It was like hamburger helper. It was an extension. It gave them money that they didn't spend before. They could never control it because when push came to shove, they just started printing more. All right? Now, so what happened is, in fact, the, 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 the last dynasty I told you about, the king, they outlawed paper money formally. They never used it. There was one small instance where in an emergency, they issued a small amount of paper money, and once it had served its purpose, they killed it and never even touched it again. All right? And so that's where paper money went. So in 1644, that's a long way from this. 620 years, it was finally outlawed in China. 1661. All right? The year 33, or the number 33, has a certain metaphysical significance. All right? Completion. 33. 33 years later, after paper money was outlawed in China, is the year 1694. 1694, gentlemen from England, understands the significance of about 1694. It was the year the Bank of England was chartered. Okay? Now, let's go back to here. This is where we end up right here. This is where we end up, 1694. Okay? Now, they had figured out a few things about paper money. All right? By the time England created its first central bank. In the West, the idea for paper money did not come from government. If it had come from government, they would have done the same thing the Chinese had done. Same thing. Same motivating factor, war, spend what you don't have, you know, we'll control it, and you won't. All right? The impelling idea did not come from government. It came from bankers. And in 1694, bankers didn't even have buildings. The word bank, bank, came from the Jewish word of bench, where Jewish goldsmiths used to sit there and loan money. All right? But the one who came up with the idea, theoretically, we think, was William Patterson, a Scotsman. They're really something else. Chinese Jews and Scots, they're into the money. All right? William Patterson went to King William III, who had, just like all his cousins, they're trying to sleep with each other, they're trying to take each other's kingdom. It's just a bunch of street gangs on the loose. And they're, they're it's, it's, it's incest. All right? But that's what they're after. They're after everybody else's kingdom. And they're all related. All right? King William owed a whole lot of money, because they were all rather unsuccessful, successful at times. No one was getting really ahead until William Patterson showed up and told King William, hey, I got an idea. He says, what? He said, 
We can pay off your, your bills. Wow. Now, imagine if you're the king, and some guy comes up, and he's dressed rather well for the time, and he says, you can pay off your bills, all right? And then he says, how are you going to do that? He says, well, you've got to let me charter a bank. Well, what, what do you do? So what we're going to do is this. You have the royal mint. You're issuing coins. There's problems going clipping and stuff like that. But it, it, it's money. It's real money, gold and silver coins, all right? He said, but what we're going to do with this thing we call the Bank of England is that we are, if we cut our deal, we're going to issue paper money backed by the, the king of England, instantly redeemable for specie, for hard currency. Instantly, just like the Mongols. Just like the Mongols. All right? We're going to issue a hard currency, all right, alongside the silver. We're not going to replace it. We're not going to say, you know, silver and gold are, is, is not good. It's not money like the, like the Mongols did. We're going to let it run beside it, all right? Now, the king loved the idea. What's not to love? What's not to love? The guy is going to get lo loan you enough money to pay off your debt. The, all, he, all he wants to do is get ahead. All right? Loan you money to fight more wars. And you let him print money. And they did. Now, what agendas do we have? And this is what you really have to figure out. This is really what you, It's not complex. I mean, you know, Professor Fekete used to say, he's a mathematician. He said, it doesn't take a mathematician to figure out money. Money has nothing to do so much with mathematics. All right? I mean, you can see Samuelson's. I remember seeing Samuelson's, you know, scribblings. You know, oh, God. I mean, what does this mean? Oh, he's talking about money. All right? It has nothing. Look at the agenda. Who is there at the table? What is their purpose? And what did they do it for? Government, it's real easy. They got to fight wars. They got loans. They had an instant tap on credit. They didn't care what else were the consequences. They didn't understand it anyway. The bankers really understood the game. These were the guys who came up with the idea. These were the guys who sold it. And they had a reason. There was not a currency crisis in England in 1690. You didn't have a crash, a collapse. And all of a sudden, the finest minds come together, drink tea, and, you know, we got to do something. This stuff.